Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Athletics Life Stories with your host, Chris Broadbent. I think there's still a lot of coaches who treat female athletes in ways they shouldn't be treated. Well, you know, just send me your receipts. We'll pay for it now. I'm like, that's not how it should be. In reality, it's the equivalent of Paula's performance with the shoe technology. All right, welcome to Athletics Life Stories with myself, Chris Broadbent. Today I'm joined by the versatile 1990s and early 2000s distance runner, Kathy Butler. It's probably fair to say that Kathy's running career often went a little under the radar, but she ran in two Olympic Games, uh, was European Cup winner, won a medal at the Goodwill Games, and was a world-class operator on track, road, and cross-country. Now a respected coach, she resides uh, near one of the running capitals of the world, Boulder, Colorado. Kathy, it's good to see you. Hi, yeah, great to be here. Good, good. So it's difficult to say where you're from, isn't it, I would say. You're one of those people that I'm not quite sure where you're from. Uh, born in Edinburgh, grew up in the Isle of Wight, Canada, now you're in the US. So yeah. just walk me through that childhood, where where yeah. you were. And, uh, yeah, so I was actually in Edinburgh till I was almost 10. So um, main younger childhood in Edinburgh. At, ran my first couple of races in Edinburgh, just like school stuff, um, just sports day stuff, but then moved to the Isle of Wight. That's actually where I really started running and ran some, ran some races for school. I uh, lived on the Isle of Wight for just over a year, so not that long. And then we moved to Canada, uh, mostly all for my dad's job, so just moving around for that. Um, and then lived in Canada, then went to school, went to university in America, um, and then stayed uh, I went to Wisconsin, the University of Wisconsin, stayed there for quite a few years after graduation, but was at that point probably six months in the UK, six months in the US, not all at once, but, you know, two months here, two months there, back and forth, um, competing and, and back to train with my uh, university coach. Um, and then uh, when he he moved uh, jobs to coach at uh, Stanford in Palo Alto, California, um, it was kind of moved to California or moved to altitude. So then we moved to Colorado to be at altitude. And at the time I would go, go to Palo Alto, train, um, help out a little bit sometimes with the team there and then 
come back here to train at altitude and still go over to the UK to race. So, okay. and then now we haven't moved. We're still here. <laughs> still there. Still there. Just take me, take me back then to when you, when you first, when running first became a part of life for you. You say it was, it was in Edinburgh where you first got the bug or was it in the Isle of Wight? Um, I think more probably the Isle of Wight. So that was the first year you could kind of, well, it was the first year anyway, somebody said to me, oh, you should go run these races, you know, just school stuff. But I think I ran um, an 800 just in just in class and beat everybody, including the boys. So then that got me got me interested in it, I guess. So then they took us to a few races just with the school. And um, then once we moved to Canada, I think my parents were probably like, well, she should do something to get to meet people. So I joined an athletics club in Canada and still did school stuff and club stuff as well in Canada. So that's kind of, it was the Isle of Wight and then um, transferring over to Canada once I got there. Um, yeah, that's where I got started. <laughs> okay, okay. But you, ha- you must have had a Scottish accent at some point then. <laughs> I, <assume>. I did, <laughs> yeah. um, Interestingly, my, I mean, our family's from all over. They had moved to Scotland about a year before I was born. So okay. my parents have English accents. My sister is a mix of everything because she's older than me. And then I had a Scottish accent that morphed into, I don't know, I was young enough when we moved to Canada, I think that it, um, you know, it just kind of went away. But it comes back when I'm around Scottish people. And oh. I'm always, I'm the Scot. we actually have on our bookshelf, my daughter bought it for my husband because he always jokes whenever anyone is Scottish on TV or on a movie or something. He's like, oh, can you translate for me? So <laughs> we bought him or she bought him a Scottish to English um dictionary or whatever <laughs> things so with all the phrases to translate so now I don't have to translate anymore <laughs> all right so you do know like what um words like glake it to mean or it's a bit dreek that sort of thing yeah, yeah all those kind of you know like a wee bairn and all that yeah, all <laughs> <the> yeah. <laughs> I still have it in there it just doesn't sound like it so I can surprise yeah. some people you know they, when they're least expecting it <laughs> <laughs> okay good good so you're obviously very talented very young I mean you you got to the um you went to the World Cross Country age 16, is that right? Yep, yep, that's right. That's young, that's young, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of one of those, I don't know, it's funny now looking back and being involved, I do a lot of work with um, coach development, coach education, and, mm. you know, I'm not, I probably wasn't the typical, you know, I was fairly successful young and was able to continue as I got older. Um, often you don't, you know, people don't stay, either don't stay with the sport or, it, they're not as successful as they get older but it took I guess I'm just stubborn because it I wasn't always I had it was up and down so <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 but you're obviously very, ta- very talented so then you got scholarship to Wisconsin yeah how old are you then about 18 or so I guess so I actually went to university for two years in Canada first um okay. there's this perception I think a little bit in the UK but also in Canada that if you go to school in the states they're just going to raise you to death and you're yeah. not going to survive and that'll be the end of your running career, you know? So especially at the time, there weren't as many um, athletes, like, especially Canadians, there weren't as many doing well um, when they came came back. There are a lot of athletes getting burnt out and that kind of thing. It's, I think some of it's inevitable at that age that you just move on. You have other things going on in life. Um, so I was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want to go and be, you know, another, you know, statistic. So I didn't at first go to school in America and then I went, um, after two years, I decided that I wasn't really getting the competition I needed in the Canadian university system. And 
um, I just wanted another challenge. And so, yeah, I went went to Wisconsin. Yeah, and obviously it worked out because you, you won the big ones, didn't you? You won the NCA, NCAA. Yep, I won, well, one relay and four individual NCAAs, yeah. So, but in cross country and track and our relay was indoor DMR, distance medley relay. Okay, okay. Can you describe <laughs> what that means? I mean, it's, it's, it is a very American thing, that. I mean, it's difficult to translate across the Atlantic, yeah. that. But just give me a sense of what the occasion is like when you go to those type of events. I mean, it's... Having competed at all sorts of things, it's as it's not as big as something like the Olympics or the World Champs, but be, right. next below that, you know, kind really? of that kind of level of excitement and um, like crowd excitement. They, you know, they pack stadiums and, um, you know, you've also got the sort of team component, which maybe European Cups the closest you come to that, but, um, you know, where where people are still trying to get points for their team and do like one year we finished second as a team with only, I don't remember how many people, seven or something people competing, but you know, that kind of thing. Like there's that extra element of trying to win or do well in the team competition. Um, and yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to, you get people from all over the world. I think even more so now, I mean, I watched outdoor championships this year and you know, you've got Moroccans and um, you know, the typical, you got Brits and, um, Canadians and other countries too but now you, you have Moroccans Kenyans yeah. you know not so many Ethiopians but yeah you see a lot of it's very international um, so I just think it's a great stepping stone for competition for a lot of athletes if you're good you know we have the under 23s you know in Europe and in in Britain but I feel like the NCAAs is a higher level of competition for that age group um, so yeah I mean it's a pretty big deal especially cross-country because you got everyone, you know, from 1500 to yeah. 10K. Um, so that one's that was probably the most memorable in terms of my individual wins. Um, I've got more memorable moments with team stuff, but um, yeah, the cross country one was, you know, it was, I was just I, Pat, I like had got dropped by the group just to take you back. I got dropped yeah, by it, the lead pack, and um, there was maybe a lead pack of like three or four, and, and I was in it, and then I got dropped. And then we went up this hill and I caught them again. And um, I just like decided just to go for it. And it was sort of 1200 meters to go or something over 5k, which is a big chunk. So I just ran scared the whole last thousand. So it was, I don't really remember the finish much because I think I was pretty much barely making it to the line at that point. But it, uh, yeah, that was probably one of my more memorable races in that level of competition, obviously, after that came other stuff. But yeah. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And you got to the Olympics in 96. I mean, you were still quite young then, weren't you? Yeah, I was still in university at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. What was that experience like? Um, it was, I think it was the best experience I could have had for that age. You know, like I did everything. I don't think I ran probably as well as I could have done. Um, but then again, sometimes the first time through those big um competition <clears throat> british athletics you have to give people a chance but the first time you run at those big competitions mm. you don't always run your best because it is overwhelming and you know there's a lot going on right so getting used to the village and going to the opening ceremonies and getting back at like one in the morning or whatever all those kind of things that i then didn't do in athens but i was glad that i got to do them when i was young um, so i think that really helped my future running um, but also it was a great experience i mean i you know, wasn't too far off making the final, but I wasn't really quite ready to make the final either. Um, but it was also the first Olympics for women's 5K, so that was kind of cool to be part of that. 
which seems crazy because it doesn't seem that long ago that women only mm-hmm. ran 5k in the Olympics for the first yeah. time then. Um, but so that was a, a very good experience. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it was kind of crazy. Some of the bigger things I remember, I mean, I remember racing and all that stuff too, but um, Muhammad Ali lighting the, the flame was kind of a yeah. big deal. I was in the stadium when Michael Johnson broke the world record and it was because it was in the U S it was just like, that was probably the loudest I've ever experienced, you know, in terms of the crowd and the music and everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those kind of um, experiences were, were probably, yeah, oh, very memorable for sure. Yeah. And your teammate, your teammate was Donovan Bailey in the, in the Canadian team back then. He was a bit of a star of the games as well, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. We had some, yeah, it was kind of interesting because if I think about it in 96, Canada had some really good sprinters and then in 04, Britain did. So it was kind of like interesting to see that, yeah, it was kind of around all those good sprinters at eight years apart. But um, yeah, no, I mean, I didn't really, he was a lot older than me. I was, I was just a young little distance runner. So I didn't really. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good, good. Uh, After that, not long after that, you got Graves disease, which knocked you back a bit. Yeah. before that. before that was it okay okay yeah yeah it was right before I went to school in the states so I I, I remember because I had just signed I think my paperwork to go to school in the states and um yeah I went to world cross in Budapest which is okay. funny world champs were just there and um and like just something was off like really off not just like a little bit off but really off and then when I came back and luckily I just went to student health which, you know, because I was in school in Canada, it wasn't like we had all this fancy stuff that the U.S. schools have, um, and went to student health, and luckily the doctor that saw me recognized some of the symptoms and sent me right away for the right test, because I know some people go a while with being undiagnosed, so I was lucky that it was relatively quick in terms of the amount of time. It seemed like forever at the time, but it was relatively quick to, to get it back under control. Good, good, okay. Okay, so you're, you're an international athlete now, you're going to championships, but you you went to the, one of your best results was the 1999 World Cross, so you were fourth there in the short course, which was a, you know, a great result for you, but you were, you, it was a bit of a turning point for you as well, wasn't it, from switching from Canada to, to Britain, because you weren't really getting the support there, were you, that you really wanted to get? Yeah, yeah it was sort of a combination of factors, being, being born in Britain, and you know, my whole family's from there, was kind of one of those things that I think if I'd had the opportunity at 16 or 15 when I first started competing at that level, maybe I would have tried to compete then, but it's not realistic to be flying back and forth between mm. Canada and the UK at that age. Um, but at, once I got to, you know, 98, 99, I was, you know, already in the UK quite a bit of the year. And so it was a lot more realistic. And um, I talked with my manager at the time, it was Kim McDonald. Um, about it and those kind of things we were just like well you know it might make sense now to go back to the country my country of birth so um and yeah I wasn't really getting Canada made it easier in that I wasn't getting much support from them I suppose um yeah I mean I've paid my own way to world cross in 99 when I finished fourth and then uh, (laughs) okay that's crazy I mean that's 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 an expensive flight as well yeah the advantage was that I just did my own thing and I went I went to London first um, they flew them in, you know, kind of last minute Thursday or something before the the meet. And I think I went a week before and, and stayed in London before and then just flew over 
the day or two days before the race um, to Belfast. But um, so I, I could do it my own way. So that was the advantage of paying my own way. But um, yeah, I then was leaving for the airport after the race with the, I forget who, I think it was the CEO of Athletics Canada at the time. And um, he was like, oh, you know, I'll give you a ride to the airport because um, he had some car, you know, driving him. So I was like, okay, fine. I'm not going to turn that down. Free ride to the airport. I've already paid like, you know, however much to be here. So I, I got in the car and he's like, well, you know, just send me your receipts. We'll pay for it now. I'm like, that's not how it should be. Like, that's not fair, you know, to um, all the other athletes that had to pay as well. And um, so, yeah, so I didn't, didn't take him up on that and um, just kind of took my prize money from the world cross and, and decided, okay, this is my, my chance to move on. And um, yeah, I mean, it was great. I think for me, you said about me being from all over the place. It was kind of perfect for me because I, I think I would have regretted not ever having competed for Britain because mm. that is a huge part of me. Um, yeah. It's hard to explain to people because some, a lot of people don't know. They think, well, you, oh, you just have British parents or you just, you know, this or that. Or, but no, I mean, I grew up till I was 11, you know, and yeah. all our family is from there. So it's, it was important to me as well, and I'm glad I I'm glad I switched for sure. Did that Did that mean I don't know what the eligibility was then, but did, did that mean you you sacrificed the Olympics in Sydney, or did you just no. not make it to to no? What happened then? <laughs> I was anemic. In, oh. Um, Two thousand, yeah. Um, so I had to sit out a year because it was my country of birth. It wasn't three years. I think that I don't know. I think the rules might have changed since, but at the okay. time. Yeah, if you were switching to a brand new country, say I had become American and I was switching to the U.S., I think I would have had to sit out three years for that. Okay, but okay. Because um, it was my, I was going back to my country of birth. It was one year of no international, um, official international competition, so world championships, Olympics. So that started, um, I went to the world champs in Seville in 99. And so then, but the Olympics were late because it was in Sydney in September. Okay. So I was okay to compete. Um, I missed, I don't know, like World Cross 2000 or something like that was the only championship that I think I had to miss. Um, but the, but then, yeah, I ended up anemic, and that's a whole long other story that I often tell when I teach coaching education but about anemia. But, yeah, so that's why I missed 2000. By the time the Olympics came around in 2000, I was actually running fine, and I was all better. And but, So that was okay. a little bit frustrating, but... Okay, okay. But the year, the year after was a good year for you, wasn't it? 2001. Yeah, and I actually ran European Cross in 2000. So mm. by December, I was totally fine. And um, so, yeah, and 2001 was a good year. The like, end of 2000 into 2001 um, was, yeah, everything was going really well. Yeah, tell me about the, about the um, probably two biggest win that was the European Cup in Bremen. Tell me about that one. That was a, that's a big deal, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, um, I think, you know, just to kind of didn't really expect to win it. I didn't really know going in, um, but those kind of races are really, or were, not anymore, but really were my favorite type of racing, you know, championship racing. Um, I feel like competing in the NCAA actually prepared me really well for that kind of stuff, for championship style racing. So um, it just kind of um, lent itself really well to my style of racing, just being able to 
put in a big move and just go for it and hope nobody catches me. <laughs> so it's just what I did. And then, uh, yeah, it was exciting. I mean, it was kind of, I mean, I had known like Paula Radcliffe a long time because we had competed against each other for a long time outside of mm. what country we were competing for. Um, but she was on the team and there were quite a few people. So yeah, it was, it was fun. It was felt like I really was contributing to this relatively new um, team that I was competing as part of. So yeah, it was, it was a very good experience. And um, yeah, I felt like I was like, okay, this is, I deserve to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And you went and got a bronze at the Goodwill Games as well. Tell me about the Goodwill Games. That was, just, uh, I think it went for about 16 years or so, was it? I don't know, the Goodwill Games. It was, it was, it was, to, to tell me what the experience was like, the Goodwill Games. Was it a weird one to take part in? It was, it was meant to be sort of a alternative Olympics at one time, wasn't it? Yeah. I think by the time I competed, it was sort of losing its, I don't know, raison d'etre, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. Kind of getting beyond, we were no longer in a Cold War or, you know, like there was none of yeah. that, which is sort of why it started back. Or was it because of the boycott? I don't see, I don't even really know. It was, I think it started in the 80s. I think. Yeah, it did. Yeah. yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah. I think it is for that reason, just to, just to, because it, it come off the back of a, a couple of boycotted Olympics. Yeah. 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 So it was supposed to be kind of like sport is beyond that kind of mm. political stuff, I think, like that's all come together and, and have goodwill games. But it, I mean, it was still a great competition. Um, it, you know, at the time, obviously it's a little different now, but at the time, you know, there were a lot of good Russians, <laughs> um, it, however they were good, they were good. And mm. um, <laughs> yeah. so they, uh, you know, there was always going to be a good competition at goodwill games and I competed at two goodwill games. I believe there was one before the one where I got the bronze medal. I think it was in New York in 98 99 something like that but um but yeah it was it was sort of one of those really long um season you know where you go and you're like well I might as well run another couple of races okay went over to Australia um so it was September or something you know it was really late but um at the time I think I was running well and yeah it was it was good race it was there I guess it would have been there spring so I don't remember it being particularly hot but it was it was it was nice competition and then I went and ran. They had like a one-year anniversary of the Olympics, and we ran a road mile as well. So I ran a couple of races over there. But um, yeah, I don't know if it really had the feel of maybe because I didn't have a lot of goodwill towards the Russians at the time. But yeah, it, yeah. I don't know if it had the feel it had when it first started, and then as soon after that, I think it was done. But or maybe that was the last one. But uh, but yeah, I mean that was the same year that Yegorova yeah. made the. And I missed the final. That's who you're alluding to, isn't it? Yegorova, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, that whole Russian thing. And Yegorova may have won good, Goodwill Games as well. I'm not sure. She did, she did, yeah. She did. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for looking up the results. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, it wasn't really a feeling of goodwill, but it was a good race for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was the year that she, you, you were protesting when you, you and a lot of the other female endurance runners put in a little yeah. protest at the World Champs that year because of Yegorova. And yeah. getting out of there because she tested positive for EPO, but it was her urine and not, they hadn't taken a blood test. So it was a real technical, it was a crazy technicality, but she yeah. ran the world champs and brass nicked out. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And I missed the final by one spot at world champs. So yeah. that, she basically was my spot that I missed the final by. Mm. So yeah. And then yeah, Joe and Joe, Joe and Gav Pavey and Paula and maybe a few, Helen probably too, Clitheroe. They were all protesting um, in the stands during during the race. And yeah, it was it. Yeah, 
it was kind of disappointing. Um, I don't know. I don't know if we're any closer to it being cleaner. I, I know there's plenty of clean athletes, but that probably year was one of the more disappointing years in terms mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff for, for me anyway. Um, you just kind of wish somebody could look like somebody could say like, okay, this is the, what the clean results were. And this is, but it doesn't really work that way. Cause it's racing and all that kind of stuff. Like yeah. that's simple. I didn't make the final, you know? So what would the difference have been if I had made the final, but you just can't dwell on it. Um, yeah. But it, it is a little bit frustrating for sure. Yeah. Let's just skip forward a few years. Cause I'm going to go to the next Olympic year. Um, that was, that was probably your best year, wasn't it? 2004. Yeah. Yeah. As a overall year, I would say, yeah. A really good year. I mean, the, the world, I'll pick out the World Cross to start off. You finished 11th in the World Cross. You were the first British athlete home. You won a team bronze. You did it without Paul Radcliffe as well, who was obviously the major start of time. So yeah. did that make it extra special? I mean, you, you were sort of like the next tier, if you like, you guys, weren't you, uh, without Paula? And you still won a bronze medal behind the Kenyans and Ethiopians. And we only ran with five because Paula didn't withdraw till the week of the race, I think, or within yeah. a short time. Um, so we couldn't replace her um I don't know it feels weird to say that it was extra special without her because obviously she Mm -hmm. was such a contributor to the to the to cross country at that time and I'm fairly sure even for like you look at the middle distance running right now in Britain and I think everyone is pushing each other on and I think at the time we were all pushing each other on the yellings you know Paula Helen you know everybody we just all kind of pushed each other forward so she wasn't there but she was still a big part of, you know, British cross country at, at that time. So we can't, I mean, she was kind of moving on to the marathon and all that kind of thing at that point, but you know, she had won world cross in, you know, not very long before that. And so, but yeah, to, to sort of show that we could do it without her, I suppose was special in that sense. Um, and, you know, probably if she had been at her best and, and run, I, I don't know if we could have got an even higher medal. I'm not sure. I didn't, Probably at the time I looked at the points, but I don't remember now. But uh, but yeah, it was great. It was you know we ran so well and we were so solid as in terms of depth as a team that um, as a world cross country memory that one that bronze over even the individual fourth place is is probably a highlight of world cross country championships for me. Mm-hmm. What's uh, well, I mean? Would you say you and the the other other athletes you mentioned there were you better athletes because of Paula because the bar was raised so high? I think so. Yeah, uh, I think so. I mean, I also think you know to make a team um, at the time was was difficult. You know, it wasn't wasn't easy to make any kind of whether it was World Cross or um, another Olympic or World Championship team or even Europeans. So um, yeah, it, I think I think we were all better because of her. Yeah. What other memories have you got at that time? We're racing in the, in the cross countries, not, not just the world, but the European cross country, because you were pretty pretty prolific, you guys, though, weren't you, in, in winning medals at uh, certainly a European level as well. Is there yeah. anything else that jumps out from that time? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it was it probably, we were so consistent. I think that's probably the main thing that jumps out, right? But it was yeah. kind of almost expected that we would win a medal at yeah. the European level anyway. Um and yeah, just trying to make the team was almost as hard sometimes as running at the Europeans or at the World Cross. But um, yeah, I think we just had a solid group. Um, we were all, I mean, there were a few that came up, but there was sort of a gap too. It was kind of interesting to sort of the Louise Damons and um, 
Charlotte Vale, and she was a little bit younger still. But, mm-hmm. you know, we had kind of our crew that were all similar kind of age, and then there was a bit of a gap. Um, but so I think we were just a really, you know, strong group together. And I think, you know, we ran a lot of races together. And, yeah, <laughs> I think just that that time, I think I just remember many it's almost like all of the races kind of blend together into one kind of like we had many, many years of good running together. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that summer you went, went to the Olympics in Athens, a uh, bit of a highlight for you and you finished 12th in the final there. Um, yep. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, 12th in the Olympics. It's, um, but it's possibly one of the most competitive events you in the world, in world sport, isn't it? 10,000 meter running is, is highly competitive. A lot of people run 10K around the yeah. planet. So to finish yeah. 12th in the Olympics is, um, it's a big achievement, isn't it? Uh, I thought it was. I think I went in ranked 28th or something out of 31 yeah. that were on the start line. So for me to finish 12th was huge. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and it is still kind of is definitely was at the time one of the hardest events to qualify for because they take the fewest people as a straight final. Um, so, you know, you don't have, you know, 40 48 or however many, 36, however many they might take in a, an event that has multiple rounds um, or 80, like they take in the hundred. But um, yeah. So for me, I, I mean, I ran about as well as I could have expected to run. Um, I think at the time there was a lot of pressure on that race. Not for me though, but uh, yeah. I think it was the most watched event of those Olympics um, because uh, Brits love a train crash, I guess. I don't know. It's kind of sad, but, but <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is that. Paula Radcliffe had this, like, you know, she was hyped up as the big star, and she was the big star. And all the pressure was on her, and she, the marathon didn't go well for yeah. good reasons, and she decided to give the 10K a go. And you're right. I think it was, it might have even been like, you know, um, a good time of night like peak peak viewing time in the uk as well so everyone was focused on this 10k to watch paula yeah, but you know something crazy like 17 million people or something watched Whoa. it was something i don't know why that sticks in my head it maybe it was seven who knows i could be completely wrong but i remember talking i randomly would bump into people occasionally about, oh what do you do i run you know oh yeah i watched that 10k you know like just random people on a plane <laughs> or something <laughs> like oh geez they don't remember me running I and mean, they kind of do because once you dropped out then they kind of focused a little bit more on me, but yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it probably made it easier for me as terrible as that is for her because all the, all the focus was on her. Um, mm. So I could just do thing and not, you know, not really worry about anyone being that concerned about how I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You said you don't like to dwell on these things, but I did look into that and there was a, a lot of athletes finished ahead of you, you know, were implicated in doping, either testing positive themselves or the coaches were found to be, you know, I mean, does that, does that bother you at all? Or is it just, just, I mean, are you, are you aware of it at the time? Are you, are you on the start line with suspicions or is, can you not do that? Um. Oh yeah. You know, at the time that there's probably people mm. out there who, um, yeah, you just, it's, and then in the years following, you kind of think, ah, oh, they went back, they didn't keep samples as long or, I was just beyond the cusp of when they went back and retested some of those samples um, once they could test for the things they could test for. Um, so, you can, yeah, I mean, 12th was great. What was the actual position? I don't know. Was it fifth, sixth? Yeah, I think seventh is fair. Yeah, I think seventh is fair. Yeah. Guaranteed. Yeah. I don't know. And yeah. then if you, going on actual people that have been 
And then, you know, if once you take that out, it changes the, the way the race goes too. Mm. So it's, I mean, you can't, yeah, you can't really dwell on it too much, but um, it would be nice to know. It's kind of one of those things like at, at the end, could someone just like be like, Hey, here's the actual, I probably won't care anymore, but you know, <laughs> Hey, you actually did this, this, this. I don't know. It doesn't really matter anymore, I guess, but um I don't know. I just would like to see, you know, you see the up and coming athletes and you want to see them feel like they're on a fair playing field at this, at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't change the past, but hopefully, you know, they're working to keep it cleaner for the future. Yeah. Yeah. What's it take to get to that level then? Just give us a, just give us a taste of what, how hard the training has to be to be, you know, an Olympic distance runner. Are you putting uh, yourself through hell every day to get to that level? No. You're tired a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I don't want to say it's hell. I mean, at the time, you're just used to it, I think. You know, you're used to pushing hard. It's not necessarily um, psychologically difficult. Um, you're kind of just in that mode where you're used to training hard many days a week, uh, running a lot, running, you know, twice a day doing all the extra things you have to do to stay healthy as best you can. Um, and because I was lucky enough to be doing it full time, that made it a lot easier because I could just concentrate on, on running and, and that was it. Um, I didn't really have to think about, you know, going to work or what I had to do outside of running. Um, so, I mean, it is probably when you're running well, it's easy. <laughs> When you're injured or coming back from injury or um, things, you know, when I had Graves disease, when you're coming back from those kind of things, that's when it's really hard, you know, both psychologically and and physically, you know, even recreational runners know that starting running is the hardest part. So it's the same goes for, you know, top end athletes, world-class athletes. You're, if, when you're at the high, the, the top end of your game, it's, it's easy to go out and push every day. And probably what you're trying to do, is not push too much within reason is to do it in a smart way um so yeah it means a lot of running (laughs) that's what it comes down to (laughs) 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 but it's you know it's also just training hard you know 5k 10k you're training hard so um yeah just a lot of a lot of training and a lot of travel (laughs) and a lot of downtime learning how to be good at the downtime is probably the other piece that people don't realizes you know you read a lot of books <laughs> watch a lot of movies you know that kind of stuff that the in-between yeah. training time um can sometimes be the harder part i remember you know in cyprus at our holding camp before athens you know we just we just wanted to go be normal sometimes like oh, can we go into town and just get a coffee you know and just sit and talk and feel normal so sometimes that's the harder part is just making sure that you take the downtime. And I was lucky, you know, I had um, Joe Pavey and Liz Yelling and people that I knew for, and Paula, people I'd known for a very long time. And we just, we could relax easily amongst each other. So I think that made, made it easier. You know, we're all training really hard, but then we, when we have that time to just sit around and, you know, hang out, it was, it was easier. It made much easier because of that crew of women. Yeah, yeah. You talked about the travel there and having having a bit of fun. You, I mean, I know it's that season. You're also 
you were second at Crystal Palace, you know, eighth in Monaco, fifth in Brussels, sixth in Zurich. It's all these glamorous places. You know, it's, uh, is it glamorous? Is it, it, it seems glamorous on paper. Is it, does it bring back happy memories, those type of occasions? For sure. I mean, a lot of the time, all you see is the track in a hotel. Um, yeah. I always try. The nice thing about being a distance runner or a middle distance runner is that you can see a little more often than some people, than a sprinter or a thrower. And um, so we would go go look, you know, go for a run day after, if we were still there the next morning, go for a run, go see the area, or even the day before a race, you might get a chance to run around a little bit in the city. Um, but even then, I mean, we got treated, I felt like we got treated really well. And um, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the travel and yeah, those Zurich and Brussels and all those meets, they're, they're great meets as an athlete, you know, you do get treated well and it's fun and you're around your, your peers and, um, running at your best and it's it is a lot of fun at that point you know I mean say Brussels that was by then it was after the Olympics so you kind of at that point you have nothing to lose right so you just kind of mm. do what you can do and then I think I went to Monaco that year as well and and by the time at the time the final the you know whatever golden league diamond league final whatever um didn't have pacemakers so it was just like go out and race and that's my kind of racing and um I remember I was sitting, this is a, sorry to distract you, but I, w- I raced the first day of the final in Monaco and I wasn't supposed to race the next day. So I had, I was sitting by the pool on the roof of the hotel in Monaco, which is still like a great memory to me. Yeah, I've been there. I, I've been there. The one that overlooks the Formula One track. Uh, yeah, U-turn. yeah, what a place that is. Yeah. yeah. And I thought my season was basically done. I think I did race a couple more times after that, but I was like, oh yeah, I'm just going to go to the pool. And I remember I bought the world's most expensive Coke. I think it was like $10 or something to have a Coke poolside and the roof, you know, on the roof in Monaco overlooking. And like uh, my manager was like, or somebody was like trying to get a hold of me, like trying to trying to find you. You know, you have to come like they want you to race again today. They have a spot in the I can't remember. I think it was like I made the 5K and they had a 3K or something. And so I literally had to leave the pool with my Coca-Cola and go and race again. But it was fine. It was worth it. But (laughs) But yeah, memories like that, you know, like those kind of things. I remember we ran over the Sydney Harbour Bridge and through um, past the Opera House one time when I was in Sydney, you know, those kind of things. Um, yeah, you do make the most of it as much as you can. Um, and I, I mean, I loved it anyway. I mean, it's such great opportunities. I, I mean, my daughter thinks I've been everywhere. I haven't, but, you know, something will come up. Oh, I've been there. We watch track. We'll watch athletics on TV and We'll be like, oh yeah, I ran at that that track, you know. She's like, you've been everywhere. I'm like, well, not really, and you don't really see as much as you think. It's not as not like when we go on holiday, you know. It's yeah. not like that. But um, yeah, no, I have I have great memories of that that time for sure. Good, good fun. A uh, couple of years on, next, uh, well, your first Commonwealth Games. No, was it your first Commonwealth Games in uh, in Melbourne? No, I ran. Um, Did you run for Canada once? Yeah, in, in Kuala Lumpur. In okay. Okay. The eight. Is that right? Okay. 98. Okay. 98. Yeah, yeah. But you raced for Scotland over, over 10k in, in Melbourne, um, and you finished seventh there. But you were a little bit down on what you thought you would do there, yeah. Yeah. Now I I heard you had, it was it was a, was there a your mental cycle was a factor in that. Oh, I think so. Yeah, and I I think it. Just, it's, some, it's something we wouldn't talk about back then, but I feel like I feel like now it's becoming more of a less taboo yeah. subject, you know. Yeah. Right? yeah. I mean, I think it was just bad timing. Yeah, and all the travel, and I think at the time. I even had wanted to run the five, either the 1500 or the 5k. And 
um, Athletic Scotland didn't want me to, or Scottish Athletics didn't want me to run. Uh, they wanted me to run the 10K. Um, and there were a few things going on, just like timing wise. It wasn't great. And um, it's, yeah, it's one of those things, definitely as a high end athlete, it's an indicator of your, your health, your menstrual cycle. Like you, you still need to be having it in order to be healthy. Um, and we now know a lot more about that in terms of, you know, what makes a healthy female athlete. Um, but yeah, I think it was just poor timing there. Um, and then we went straight to world cross, which still wasn't all the travel and everything. Wasn't, that wasn't a great talk about travel experiences. It was, there was the travel itself was fine, but yeah, that combination of going to Melbourne for Commonwealth Games and then going on to World Cross in Japan was not not the greatest combination for me. But yeah, it's I don't know, just sometimes you just have stretches that just don't come out how you plan them to come out. Yeah, yeah. But you you also transitioning to the road at that time, weren't you? It was all given marathons ago, and you had a, you, I think it was your second marathon in Chicago. You ran a two twenty eight, which was really outstanding run at the time, wasn't it? I think it was about sixth or seventh best in the UK at the time, all time. So it was really strong yeah, run three, three super shoes <laughs> yeah yeah or yeah it's kind of sounds so slow now everyone anyone can run 228 now i mean you could run 228 now Chris. Come on. <laughs> even me <laughs> even you you probably run 225 but no it um yeah it was it was a good run and it was kind of a uh, attempt at seeing what i could do over the marathon i was glad i had those attempts at the marathon at that time um maybe I could have still run as well on the track if I'd stayed staying solely on the track. It's hard to know, but, um, I think it was good to see what I could do over longer road stuff. And, um, I had some, some rough ones as well, but, um, yeah, I think I had some, some potential and then the, had some bad weather, well, mostly heat. I don't, didn't at that point in my career, I didn't really run that well in the heat. I don't really know sometimes once you've had a few heat experiences, your body doesn't like it anymore and it's hard to push through the heat. Um, yeah. you see it, you, you've seen it with some other athletes. I don't know if I kind of somehow messed up my body's ability to run well in the heat, but, um, yeah. So then there were a few hot marathons and, and yeah, I thought, well, try and still do some 10 K and, uh, you're going to get to 2008, I'm sure, in a minute. So, yeah. 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 Well, when, 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 I mean, it did, you weren't quite hitting the marks then, were you? So what, what's, yeah, what happened in 2008? Then you obviously go to the Olympics, but it didn't work out, did it? You, yeah. Did you, go, you, you went, you went to London, your London Marathon, yeah? That was, mm, wait, was that 08? It was 08. Yeah. Same thing. It was hot coming mm. from altitude, coming from winter. I think I left snow to go. And it was a hot year. It was maybe 24, 25 degrees that day, I think. Yeah. Um, which with the late start, you know, for London was, it was already pretty warm by the time we ran and just wasn't ideal um, conditions for me. Um, so then I kind of transferred over to track at that point. Um, went to, I remember I went to Palo Alto, had fairly good um, training, um, but not, wasn't quite ready to race like those early season meets because I'd, you know, been in marathon mode, needed to get more into track mode. So, um, just focused on, focused on the track after that, um, was in fairly good shape. And then a few things happened at the trials that weren't ideal. Um, and we were supposed to have a pacemaker, no pacemaker. Um, I don't know. How much more do you want me to go into it? 
yeah tell me tell me about it and tell me about it you've got something you've obviously got something to say there so tell me about it it's well, years ago now so it's so long ago yeah um yeah um was supposed to arrange the pacemaker he made the standard and um there was a thing going on between the two of them supposedly and somehow there was no pacemaker for us at the trial uh, uh, you okay. can take that however you want to take it. I don't even know. I don't know how to yeah. take it any so long ago, but frustrating at the time because it felt like it was deliberate. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense now. Now you come to mention it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, so you lost a bit of enthusiasm for the back of that. When did you? When did you say you actually retired then? When, when were you done as a performance athlete? Um, so I kind of competed the next year, um, and then I was like, well see if we can have a kid so we had had my daughter in I was pregnant in 2009 so raced like early that year but then didn't race the rest of that year had her in February 2010 kind of made a little bit of a comeback but at that point sort of my decision like well our decision to have a kid at that point was like well I'm happy with everything I've done in my career and if I don't if I don't do any more that's okay so um so I kind of made it back a little bit to some of the stuff injuries I'd had when I was an athlete with um, osteitis pubis and things weren't didn't really weren't very compatible with having <laughs> having a baby um, mm-hmm. so that took a little bit to sort out as well and kind of got back into okay fitness after having her and then when she was about maybe two three something like that I just decided nah that's enough I've I've had enough I'm happy with my career I'm gonna move on and um, I was already coaching at that point and just you know decided to put more of my energy into both my daughter and coaching so yeah <laughs> so me, i guess probably 2012 but <laughs> okay okay who do you who, who do you coach athletes of all levels don't you runners of all standards mm-hmm. just just take me through like the, the what's the what's the take me from one, one extreme to the other i mean is there some people just you know, catch to 5k right to performance athletes is that what you, is that what you do i do um yeah i actually just had to tell someone the other day that um I don't care about whether you're a big fish. I care about people. <laughs> so it's yeah. more about um, coaching the person. So I have, you know, I have elite athletes. I have athletes that made the U.S. Olympic trials. Um, have an athlete going to Pan Am Games in a month or less than a month now. And yeah, um, yeah so I have athletes at that level. I have a guy going to the World 50K Championships in India in November. Um, so they're kind of like, I suppose, maybe the more obvious people that I coach because that's sort of what I did. And, um, a lot of them are, uh, local. They're part of, I have a group called run Boulder, uh, in Boulder. And so they're more my local, I see them in person, um, you know, two or three times a week at least. And we work together just regular kind of club situation. Um, and then, and sometimes they go away to train. Like the one who's, who's competing at Pan Am is actually a pentathlete. So he goes all over the place to work on fencing and, all his other things he does, but, um, but, uh, a lot of them are here. And then I have an online coaching business, um, where it could be anyone, anyone who's just starting running, um, up to, you know, decent, um, sometimes world-class, but elite athletes too on online. And typically people there, it's because their schedule doesn't work for them to run with a group locally or to have a local coach. They're really busy traveling or with, with work or they're just looking for something a little bit different, um, training wise. So all kinds, yeah, all kinds of people there. Um, I kind of like the challenge of all the different levels. I mean, just, we just finished 
this is going to sound crazy, I know, but we just finished cross country season uh, with my middle school, which is okay. um, it's just starting here. <laughs> yeah, that's why I said it's going to sound crazy, but um, they kind of do a good thing with the middle school age, which is 11 to 14, 11 to 13. Um, they have only within school, everything is five weeks, so they can try every sport. So cross country happened to be really early this year. And so it was August to September. And then they have other sports that they offer them after that. So they can try everything. They can try basketball, volleyball, skiing, you know, flag football. I don't know, whatever else they have. Track, everything. Um, Soccer, football. Um, But yeah, so I also have fun working with those guys. I partly did it because my daughter was doing it and they didn't have anyone but it was super fun and I did it for three years I don't think I'll do it next year because she'll be in high school but uh yeah it's uh so all kinds of levels yeah I just like helping the people and I don't really mind I mean maybe it would be better I don't know maybe it'd be better for my coaching career if I only focused on elite athletes in terms of like people seeing results I don't know but I don't really it doesn't matter to me (laughs) if someone wants to get better then I'll help them get better if I can Tell me about about coaching now and coaching, you know, and your experience of being a female athlete being coached many years ago, like 20, 30 years ago. I was was looking at, the reason I asked this, I was looking at um, some of the the athletes you've probably come across or trained with, um, for example, Susie uh, Faber-Hamilton, who had a crazy story about her, you know, becoming an escort in Las Vegas (laughs) and how how she'd had, well, it's just a a crazy story. and there's other people like, you know, Cara Gouch who's come out with things that has happened to her and other. Uh, it just seemed to me that at one time that, you know, female athletes were just not truly great. Um, it wasn't a holistic approach to their, 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 their training. They were just just a numbers game, essentially, just just told to just run hard and, and, and that's it. And just do your training and sh- shut up and get on with it, basically. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. Okay, I'm being harsh. And then I think, you know, I look at modern day athletes, I look at people, someone like, Alicia McCorgan over here has got a bit of a profile and she is such an obviously well-rounded human being in every way you know she'll talk so she's a great runner but she'll talk about well-being body positivity you know even menstrual, menstrual cycle all these sort of things I mean have you seen a huge change in that um yes and no I would like mm-hmm. to see more change <laughs> yeah. um Partly because I feel like there's still a huge problem with coaches. Maybe it's more here in the U.S. I don't know because it's been a while since I've lived in Britain. But um, I think there's still a lot of coaches who treat female athletes in ways they shouldn't be treated, um, both from, um, you know, the sort of Caragoucher Goucher abuse kind of side of things, but mm. also weight issues. You see a lot of athletes that still have problems with, energy deficiency and eating disorders and that kind of thing. Um, so, I mean, you see it on the men's side too, but you see it more with women. Um, so yeah, I think it's improved and I think there are some great coaches out there and I think having more women coaches, you know, um, look at how well Helen's doing, you know, Clitheroe. Um, yeah. I think that helps as well. Um, but I do think it's still, especially if you look, say you look at the U S um, pro teams, right? Like they hand these like great financial, like here, have a group and give these people all this money. If you were a decent male athlete, but as a, 
as a female athlete, it's a lot harder to get into the coaching world, you know? So it's still, there's still definitely a little bit of an old boys club. And I, I don't know for sure, but I think that probably affects the female athlete experience as well. Um, interestingly, I have some men that I coach that prefer they, well, that's what they say to me anyway. They, they actually prefer having a female coach, which is yeah. probably one of those steps that we had to get to. Right. I mean, you see it internationally. There's a few out there that, um, you know, women coaching, um, high level men. And I think that's a really good thing. I'm actually, I mean, it's not specifically, you know, national team coach stuff, but I'm, I'm men's coach for Pan Am games for distance. Yeah. Um, I noticed that. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. Uh, that's. So yeah. those kind of things I think are good. Um, I went to NACAC last year and definitely had a good rapport with both the women and the men. I feel like it, doesn't bother me. I'm not afraid of like high level athletes. It doesn't matter whether they're men or women, right? Like they're just mm -hmm. kind of people to me who happen to be good at what they do and work really hard. Um, so, but yeah, I still think there needs to be more done for sure. Um, and even on the research side, so I spend half my time working on coach development stuff now. And, um, you know, there's not very many research studies that have a lot of female athletes in them. Um, we're kind of heading that direction, but it's still, I was just doing some research for this marathon thing I'm working on. And, you know, it's like, oh, we had 25% female participants. And that's like, we did really well. We had 25%, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it should be 50-50. Of course, know, of course, yeah. yeah. And to catch up for all the holes in research on female athletes, we really should be doing more studies just on female athletes at this point, because we're so behind on our knowledge of female athletes. But, yeah, so I... It's a lot better, but I think it's got a long way to go. And you still keep hearing bad stories of people being taken advantage of. And yeah, um, yeah hopefully we, while I'm still coaching and still around, it continues to improve. I'm hopeful that it does. <laughs> good, good. So you can, you can play parts. Yeah. You, you, so you're off to the Pan American Games in Peru then next month. Uh, is that right? Chile, but yeah. yes. Chile, Chile, sorry. Chile, okay. <laughs> Chile, yeah. is it? Okay. So Santiago, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Cool. Okay. Um, tell us about the Pan American Games. I mean, I, I, it's not something that ever crosses our radar here at all. Is it? Is it? Does it get the same excitement as say the Commonwealth Games get over here? Is that the, the fair comparison? Or? Um. Well, in that it's um yeah probably in that it's a multi-sport championship. Um, mm. I so I only went to one and it was in track when I was an under twenty athlete. So, um. And that they didn't have all the sports at the under 20 stuff. It was just track and field at the time. But um, so but it is it's a pretty big event in terms of that. It is multi-sport for some sports. It is an automatic. They can get an automatic qualifier for the Olympics. So that's a pretty big deal. So my guy in the pentathlon, he could potentially come out of the Pan Am Games with an Olympic qualifier. So okay. or qualified for the Olympics. Um, so it has that kind of element too. I think it, this year it's going to be a little weird just because of the timing for, for athletics, it's not great timing. Um, not so bad for the distance athletes, but for the sort of 5k, 10k athletes, but um, for marathon, the U S you're probably aware has their marathon trials are a very big deal for, to make the Olympic team yeah. the marathon. Yeah. And that's beginning of February next year. So the, there's, you know, they really struggled to get very many athletes who want to run a marathon um, in October. That's not a paying marathon. That's not a big city marathon yeah. um, when they have to be back at it in February 1st. 
big, but it's going to be a little bit weird this year with the timing of it. I think it's going to be a slightly maybe weaker team than, you know, would sometimes go to Pan Am games um, with it being in South America. Um, but it'll still be competitive and it'll be good championship and good opportunity for the athletes that go. Some of them are probably going to be the biggest competition they've ever competed in. Mm. So that's a good stepping stone for them to maybe making the Olympic team next year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how do you deal with the, you know, you've been an athlete on a team, now you're in that management role as well. How did, how did, does it give you a new perspective that now? Because being a big an athlete, um, we've got to be honest, it's quite, it's quite a selfish existence being an athlete. You're after, you're looking after number one, you only bother about number one, aren't you? Yeah. About yourself and your own performance, you know, and that's what, that's, that's what it takes sometimes. But, um, but when you're in management, it's, you've got to deal with all these people who <laughs> just think about number one all the time. How do you, manage, how do you, how do you successfully manage that or navigate that? Um, I mean, I think with USA Track and Field, the nice thing is you have plenty of staff. So everyone has their role. And I just, the way I approach it is I try to think what the athlete would need and what I would have wanted as an athlete and try and go to the other management type people and get what they need. So like NACAC championships last year, it was really hot. It was in the Bahamas. Um, the lows were, I don't know, 26 Celsius or something. The highs were 30 something, um, just all day long hot. <laughs> so um, they weren't gonna send ice baths with the team. So we, the men's coach and I pushed, they said, we said, we'll be responsible for it. We will, normally they take at a major championship, they take a person just to deal with ice baths because it's such a pain. Like they just take effort, you know, to make sure they're frozen and all that stuff. But the coach and I said, you know, we'll do it. Like it's worth it for the athletes. We'll do it. It's going to be really hot. Um, so between us and our little, um, our woman who was our attache person for the Bahamas, she actually took them. We tried to put them in the hotel freezer and they didn't freeze. She took them and put them in her own chest freezer at her house oh, and brought them to the track for us. It was great. Um, but she, so, and then, you know, we made sure the athletes were cool enough and that kind of thing. So it's those kind of things that I try to think about, um, for them. So it is a little bit crazier. You don't get very much sleep. It is very different from being an athlete for sure. Um, you just, but I think having the perspective of what it was like as an athlete, you can kind of, you know, think about what they might need or, and if you can't, you just ask them because they'll tell you if they need something. <laughs> so that's what you're there for. You're there to make their life easier whatever they, whatever they need. Um, so, I mean, I quite like it. It's, it's fun going to those kind of things. I went to world cross. It was fun to see, you know, I saw a few people I hadn't seen in many years. I saw Natalie Harvey speaking of 2000 world cross. So, you know, um, so sometimes you get those little elements too, of seeing athletes that you competed against now in other roles, she was just there watching, but in other roles. Um, so yeah, but otherwise, um, yeah, it's it's a lot less sleep than you get as an athlete for sure. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, but you you still run a bit yourself though, yeah. Uh, we'll call it that. Sure. Yeah. Okay. We'll okay. Call it running. <laughs> Do you okay. want to call it running? Today it was kind of yeah, it was slow today, but yeah, I still run. Yeah. Okay. The crazy smart dog keeps me running. So. Okay. Okay. And do you bump it? I mean, Boulder's a bit of a. I think of it as being. I've never been there actually, but I do imagine it being a bit of a running capital. You know, that I guess our equivalents would be Loughborough or Twickenham, maybe. Is is it a sort of place where running's talked about a bit more than the average place? Yeah. Yeah. There's. Yeah. I, I say if my daughter thinking I've been everywhere. She also thinks I know everyone because no matter where you go, in my world, 
I'm going to know somebody because it's, there's just runners everywhere. So yeah, it is, it's, um, there's a lot of, a lot of athletes, everything from, and we have a lot of triathletes too, but ultra runners, trail runners, track road, you got some of, you know, one of the big with on athletics there, um, Dathan's group, you got one of the big groups, um, and boss like Emma Coburn, that group, there's a lot of athletes Some on the track, on the track in the summer, there's many tracks, but on any given track, there could be three or four big, big groups training at any one time. And, um, yeah, you see a lot of people. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Good, good. Brilliant. Thanks, Kathy. It's been good to catch up with you. Do you want to just yeah, give us a quick you. summary on how you look back on your career now? <laughs> I'm happy with it. I, yeah. I no no regrets. Yeah. <laughs> That's that brief enough. You want more? No, that's all you're going to get. No regrets. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Before actually, before we go, actually, no, I do want to actually bring up ask you about the um, because we are just talking not long after the women's world record of the marathons been broken, are we? And the, and the shoes are a factor, and yeah. the crazy time that was run. What was your takeaway from that? Mm, not believable. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they're saying it's like some even fancier shoe. I don't know. I don't know what to think personally. Um, yeah, I, I woke up and my husband had sent me a message and it just said, look at the Berlin results because he had woken up in the middle of the night. And I was just, I just don't know. I mean, in reality, it's the equivalent of Paula's performance with the shoe technology. Mm. It's not, I mean, if she ran 215 that many years ago, then 211 should be doable. So, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. it, but it is pretty. It's. A, I mean, there were a lot of men that are good men that got beat by that woman. You know, that ran yeah. slower than two on on the weekend. So, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Like, track times too. The track times are incredible. But um, the technology and you know advancements in training and even like you said yourself, female athletes being treated better and differently now than just mm. you know small men or um i think that probably in reality you should be seeing women improve more than the men um because there was more opportunity for improvement so yeah but i mean it's crazy to me to think the times you thought were untouchable sort of eastern eastern european times have now been beaten too on the track it's yeah kind of crazy but i mean it's hard to know what's what's shoe technology and what's other advancements in training and who knows what else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good support. Okay, wonderful. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Athletics Life Stories with Chris Broadbent. Please tell your friends and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Podcast Network.